Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to this Doctrine and Covenants podcast. This is going to be for section 17. So let me go ahead and read the heading to this one. This is about the three witnesses and uh, the experience that they're going to have uh, with regards to the plates and the other records. Revelation given through Joseph Smith the prophet to Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris at Fayette, New York, June of 1829, prior to their viewing the engraved plates that contained the Book of Mormon record. Joseph and his scribe, Oliver Cowdery, had learned from the translation of the Book of Mormon plates that three special witnesses would be designated. Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris were moved upon by an inspired desire to be the three special witnesses. The prophet inquired of the Lord, and this revelation was given in answer through the Urim and Thummim. Not only did the witnesses know that the book was of God, they also knew that it was based on real history and real people who really did what the book claims they did, for they saw for themselves the artifacts associated with that history. Thus, the testimony of three witnesses makes untenable any claim that the Book of Mormon may be inspired without being historical. Alrighty, uh, verse 1. Behold, I say unto you that you must rely upon my word, which if you do with full purpose of heart, you shall have a view of the plates and also of the breastplate, the sword of Laban, the Urim and Thummim, which were given to the brother of Jared upon the mount when he talked with the Lord face to face, and the miraculous directors, which were given to Lehi while in the wilderness on the borders of the Red Sea. There is no other account of anyone else seeing the Liahona in the latter days except for the vision given to the prophet Joseph Smith and the three witnesses on this occasion. The breastplate was contained in the stone box that held the plates. Lucy Mack Smith had the privilege of handling the breastplate soon after Joseph received it from the Hill Cumorah. She said that Joseph handed me the breastplate spoken of in, the, in his history. It was wrapped in a thin muslin handkerchief, so thin that I could see the glistening metal and ascertain its proportions without any difficulty. It was concave on one side and convex on the other, and it extended from the neck downwards as far as the center of the stomach of a man of extraordinary size. It had four straps of the same material for the purpose of fastening it to the breast, two of which ran back to go over the shoulders, and the other two were designed to fasten to the hips. They were just the width of two of my fingers, for I measured them, and they had holes in the end of them to be convenient in fastening. The Urim and Thummim were attached to the breastplate by means of a rod. William Smith, the prophet's brother, explained that a pocket was prepared in the breastplate on the left side, immediately over the heart, when not in use, the Urim and Thummim was placed in this pocket, the rod being of just the right length to allow it to be deposited. This instrument could, however, be detached from the breastplate when away from home, but Joseph always used it in connection with the breastplate when receiving official communications, and usually so when translating, as it permitted him to have both hands free to hold the plates. Uh, and that was by Joseph Fielding McConkie. Uh, verse 2, And it is by your faith that you shall obtain a view of them, even by that faith which was had by the prophets of old. And after that you have obtained faith and have seen them with your eyes. You shall testify of them by the power of God. You shall testify of them by the power of God. Nephi wrote that, 
when a man speaketh by the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Ghost carrieth it into the hearts of the children of men. As these men lived worthy of that companionship, there was a great power that attended their testimony. Those who were privileged to hear one or more of the three witnesses bear testimony also had opportunity to have that testimony confirmed by the power of the Holy Ghost. William H. Homer visited with Martin Harris in the Kirtland Temple about the last of December, 1869. He asked Martin, what about your testimony to the Book of Mormon? Do you still believe that the Book of Mormon is true and that Joseph Smith was a prophet? Again, the effect was electric. A changed old man stood before me. It was no longer a man with an imagined grievance. It was a man with a message, a man with a noble conviction in his heart, a man inspired of God and endowed with divine knowledge. Through the broken window of the temple shone the winter sun clear and radiant. Young man answered Martin Harris with impressiveness. Do I believe it? Do I see the sun shining? Just as surely as the sun is shining on us and gives us light and the moon and stars give us light by night, just as surely as the breath of life sustains us, so surely do I know that Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God, chosen of God, to open the last dispensation of the fullness of times. So surely do I know that the Book of Mormon was divinely translated. I saw the plates. I saw the angel. I heard the voice of God. I know that the Book of Mormon is true and that Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God. I might as well doubt my own existence as to doubt the divine authenticity of the Book of Mormon or the divine calling of Joseph Smith. It was a sublime moment. It was a wonderful testimony. We were thrilled to the very roots of our hair. The shabby, emaciated little man before us was transformed as he stood and stood with hand outstretched toward the Son of Heaven. A halo seemed to encircle him. A divine fire glowed in his eyes. His voice throbbed with the sincerity and conviction of his message. It was the real Martin Harris, whose burning testimony no, no power on earth could quench. It was the most thrilling moment of my life." Verse 4, And this you shall do, that my servant Joseph Smith, Jr. may not be destroyed, that I may bring about my righteous purposes unto the children of men in this work. The strength and importance of the testimony of the three witnesses of the Restoration is immeasurable. It is significant that not only did the prophet Joseph Smith testify truthfully of his sacred revelatory experiences, but others shared these experiences with him. Many articles and books have been written to explain away or refute the testimony of Joseph Smith. Indeed, the authors of these articles have sought to destroy the prophet by destroying the credibility of his testimony. However, these critics curiously leave the testimony of the three witnesses alone. It has been the common practice for, for detractors of the Restoration to stick their heads in the sand and ignore the special witnesses of these three men. One cannot get around their testimony nor undermine it, notwithstanding their struggles and trials. Each of these men remain true to their testimony of these events to their deaths. Their testimony gives credibility to the testimony of Joseph Smith, and that was by Joseph Ealing McConkie. Verse 5, And ye shall testify that you have seen them, even as my servant Joseph Smith, Jr. has seen them, for it is by my power that he has seen them, and it is because he had faith. And he has translated the book, even that part which I have commanded him, and as your Lord and your God liveth, it is true. Wherefore you have received the same power, and the same faith, and the same gift like unto him. And if you do these last commandments of mine, which I have given you, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you, for my grace is sufficient for you, and you shall be lifted up at the last day. 
David Whitmer uh, recounted what then followed. We not only saw the plates of the Book of Mormon, but also the brass plates, the plates of the Book of Ether, the plates containing the records of the wickedness and secret combinations of the people of the world down to the time of their being engraved, and many other plates. There appeared, as it were, a table with many records or plates upon it, besides the plates of the Book of Mormon, also the Sword of Laban, the directors, or the ball which Lehi had, and the interpreters. I saw them, just as plain as I see this bed, striking the bed beside him with his hand. And I heard the voice of the Lord as distinctly as I ever heard anything in my life, declaring that the record of the plates, the records of the plates of the Book of Mormon were translated by the gift and power of God. When asked if he saw the angel at that time, Brother Whitmer replied, Yes, he stood before us. Our testimony, as recorded in the Book of Mormon, is strictly and absolutely true, just as it is there written. Joseph then left Oliver and David and found Martin Harris engaged in prayer, as he had previously been instructed by the Lord. After joining him in prayer, Joseph and Martin had the heavens open and saw the same vision as the first two. Verse 9, And I, Jesus Christ, your Lord and your God, have spoken it unto you, that I might bring about my righteous purposes unto the children of men. Amen. The testimony of the three witnesses is given in the preface to the Book of Mormon. Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris never faltered in bearing testimony of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. As history attests, however, they did falter in other church-related areas. David Whitmer left the church and never came back. Oliver Cowdery and Martin Harris both left the church but were eventually rebaptized and died in full fellowship. But even while they were out of the church, all three continued to bear solemn witness of the reality of their experience on that day. They undoubtedly felt the weight of the Lord's warning to, to them to keep his commandments or the gates of hell would prevail against them. Francis W. Kirkham wrote about Oliver Cowdery's death that in the year 1878, David Whitmer said to elders Orson Pratt and Joseph F. Smith concerning his departure, Oliver died the happiest man I ever saw. After shaking hands with the family and kissing his wife and daughters, and daughter, he said, Now I lay me down for the last time. I am going to my Savior. And he died immediately with a smile on his face. Uh, the Richmond Democrat carried the following account of David Whitmer. On Sunday evening at 5.30, January 22, 1888, Mr. Whitmer called his family and some friends to his bedside and addressing himself to the attending physician said, Dr. Buchanan, I want you to say whether or not I am in my right mind before I give my dying testimony. The doctor answered, yes, you are in your right mind, for I have just had a conversation with you. He then addressed himself to all around his bedside in these words, Now you must all be faithful in Christ. I want to say to you all, the Bible and the record of the Nephites, the Book of Mormon, is true, so you can say that you have heard me bear my testimony on my deathbed. I'll be faithful in Christ, and your reward will be according to your works. God bless you all. My trust is in Christ forever. Worlds without end. Amen. The last testimony of Martin Harris was given to Elder William Harrison Homer, who was with him at the time of his death. Elder Homer recorded the next day, July 10, 1875, marked the end. It was in the evening. It was milking time, and Martin Harris Jr. and his wife Nancy Homer Harris had gone out to milk and to do the evening's chores. In the house was the stricken man were left my mother Eliza Williamson Homer and myself, who had had so interesting a day with Martin Harris at Kirtland. I stood by the bedside holding the patient's right hand and my mother at the, front, at the foot of the bed. 
Martin Harris had been unconscious for a number of days. When we first entered the room, the old gentleman appeared to be sleeping. He soon woke up and asked for a drink of water. I put my arm under the old gentleman, raised him, and my mother held the glass to his lips. He drank freely, then he looked up at me and recognized me. He said, I know you. You are my friend. He said, yes, I did see the plates of which the Book of Mormon was was written. I did see the angel. I did hear the voice of God. And I do know that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God, holding the keys of the holy priesthood. This was the end. Martin Harris, divinely chosen witness of the work of God, relaxed, gave up my hand. He lay back on his pillow, and just as the sun went down behind the Clarkson Mountains, the soul of Martin Harris passed on. And this was signed in the presence of Mrs. W.H. Homer uh, and Joseph Homer, Leah Widso, John A. Widso, and this is in the book in the New Witness, uh, the New Witness for Christ. I bear testimony to the truth of these things that the three witnesses really saw the plates and the records and the other things that they mentioned, and that they heard the word of God. Uh, bearing testimony that the work was true, and I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.